Ho, ho, ho! Hello there, on-speed listeners! Santa here! Speaking to you live from the North Pole via Quantum Radio. As you can no doubt tell, I am a thoroughly modern person, happy to engage with the latest technology and trends. I am indeed the spirit of Christmas past, and the Christmas is yet to come. So, it will come as no surprise to you to hear that I am committed to net zero in my transport solutions going forward, as they say. (laughs) In fact, my sleigh has been net zero for hundreds of years as my reindeer are fueled by sustainable means. They eat mosses, herbs, ferns, grasses, and the shoots and leaves of shrubs and trees. This, of course, has a minimal carbon footprint. It works rather well. Although the methane emissions are still a little on the high side. Oh, Rudolph. That was a little rude. Dasher, dancer, prancer, vixen, comet, cupid, dollar, blitzen, stop it, please. Oh, can someone open a window? Hello and welcome to the 2023 Yuletide edition of Gareth Jones on Speed with Alex Goy. Hi. Sarah Leach. Hi. And Zog. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> now I have a machine gun. No, 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 Alex, that's more. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Very good. Even I get that reference. I detect a certain amount of humbug. Zog, you don't really do Christmas in the traditional sense, do you? Uh, Well, I'm not the biggest Christmas fan, you know. Not to bang on about it, but I'm not a Christian. I don't particularly like religion. I hate a lot of this Christmas nonsense. I've already had, you know, many weeks too many of terrible Christmas adverts and annoying Christmas stuff. So, yeah, I'm I'm over Christmas already. But I'll take a couple of good Christmas movies and some, some roast goose and some mulled wine along the way, but that's about it. Sarah, where are you going to be for Christmas this year? Do you know upside or down under? Well, usually I am in Australia, so I'm playing it by ear at the moment. I could get a last-minute dash down to Oz, but at the moment I think I'll be here for now. So we'll wait and see. Yes, yes, I am fairly desperate to get down there, to be honest. Uh, Given the choice, I think I'd be in Oz for Christmas. I think it'll be a wonderful (laughs) thing to do, really. Hey, well, wherever you celebrate the Yule event, wherever it is, I hope it's a good one. Alex, do you do Hanukkah? Is that, is that your family no, tradition? No, 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 no. I have no religion. <laughs> I have no idea what my roots are, mate. If anything, my surname is Hebrew for Gentile. Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. So, yeah, yeah really, no. A couple of years ago, I did uh, Matt Farah's podcast, and uh, he started it with, you do realise your surname's basically a slur, right? And I was like, ha ha, good start to the show. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no religion for us. Speaking as a Gentile, I, I think we don't, we don't particularly take offence at the slur. <laughs> we can, we can <laughs> generally handle it. <laughs> <laughs> but Alec, you have like Christmas traditions. You watch movies and stuff. What's your best Christmas thing? After my dad died, he wasn't a particularly Christmassy or pleasant person. So mum and I sort of started doing stuff. So this will be year 19 of hosting at Mum's Place various people who also don't have families to go to because we don't have anyone really by ourselves. So we have, it's basically academics. And so the dinner conversation is quite interesting. Sometimes I fall asleep a little bit, but that's what Whiskey and Doctor Who's for in the afternoon. Exactly, yeah. There's the annual watching of Die Hard. When Hans Gruber falls from the Nakatomi Plaza, Christmas may well and truly begin. That is Saturday. (laughs) <laughs> we all have traditions. It's a massive one for me this year, 2023 Christmas, because it is the 50th anniversary 
of Merry Christmas Everybody becoming the biggest hit Slade ever had. And yeah. Is this a widely celebrated anniversary, Gareth? It's celebrated widely throughout the Slade community, yes. Thank you for the clarification. It's very big in the Jones it of is, Stoke yes. Newington. And, and in the West Midlands, <laughs> where they have a huge following. And I've done a Christmas song for Gareth Jones on Speed this year. It's not in the style of Slade. It did occur to me to try and do something like Merry Christmas, everybody. But I didn't in the end. But I think you'll agree that the song that I came up with is probably good enough. We'll see. Well, you know, Slade is a high bar to hit, particularly for one as you, who holds them in such high regard. So, uh, uh, yeah, that may have been a a smart choice, trying not to compete with the Nod and his friends. I've never been able to match the tones of Nod's scream, his incredible voice, a cement mixer going at 150 miles per hour. That's how he was described. But you know that he's a huge inspiration for Gareth Jones on speed, because you know the bit at the start of the programme where I scream, Gareth Jones! on speed that's just me I've never noticed that (laughs) that's just me being Noddy Holder that's all it is anyway Christmas time Yuletide Festivus however you want to celebrate your Winterfest let it begin now on Gareth Jones on speed and one of the traditions of this time of the year is the giving of gifts now Historically, we've all given each other virtual gifts, haven't we? Mm. You know, what would you most like to give someone else to make them happy? But I thought this year, instead of doing it for each other, we ought to do this for someone in the universe of cars and motorsport. So, given an unlimited budget, what would each of us buy someone in the world of motorsport? Alex... I'm going to go to you first. Not motorsport, but I'm guessing you're going to choose the car world. Yeah, I'm going to jump to the car world. For every single person who has a Tesla Cybertruck on order, I'm going to buy them all the dropship bollocks that's presented to me in my Twitter feed over the course of a day. (laughs) Because, one, some of it does look genuinely useful, but two, because... That is essentially the car that they've bought and worshipped. It's this trinket that's presented to you that does all these magical things that actually far better, cheaper things can do a lot better. So essentially, I'm giving them the tat that they so wish to display in their enormous, useless penis enlargement thing. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's more of a lesson than a gift, isn't it? It's be careful for what (laughs) you wish, isn't it? It's their jam. I know some Americans who who are dead keen on it. I know some like true EV enthusiasts who are dead keen on it. Those guys, fine. They know what they're getting into. They've had Teslas before. I'm really talking about the Musk can do no wrong. Teslas are the single greatest vehicles ever invented. Look, it's got a blind spot camera on it. Look, it's got rear steering. Isn't that innovative? It's the people that have really seen nothing of the world and they can't really get it that that there's other things. So they can just have all the tat, all of it. I'm intrigued by the Cybertruck. I kind of like it because, you know, it reminds me of a DeLorean. It reminds me of a Lotus. I like the way the edges are back. I like it for that reason. I like ridiculous cars. It is a truly ridiculous car. I agree with you that there may be better options. I think the Ford F-150 Lightning probably does everything that the Cybertruck does with less of the anti-prestige, you might say. It's an odd product you know whose future is still questionable in what to me is an odd sector the american and you know uk or european pictures here are vastly different but an awful lot of people are buying you know this class of vehicle now that are really that for a very small part of the proportion of the buyers these are actually tremendously useful valuable tools and for a greater part of the market they're just unnecessarily heavy expensive and dangerous to pedestrians, rather silly, ugly vehicles. And the Cybertruck is maybe a bit sillier and uglier than most. I've got kind of mixed feelings about them. I like the fact that they're doing something futuristic, sci-fi, different here, but I'm not sure that it entirely works. And just to touch on what you said a moment ago, Alex, in terms of you know people thinking that Elon Musk is a guy who can do no wrong, after the last year or so of what he's done with Twitter, how anybody could think he's <laughs> universally <laughs> gifted and unable to make enormous mistakes and hasn't been paying attention to add to his brilliance some of the things he said on said platform that he's now 
you know, ruined. Agreed. It does rather give every Tesla a bit of the Yeezy vibe. Yeah. After Kanye said and did what Kanye said and did, and now you see someone wearing Yeezys and going, ooh, you got the racist shoes. Ah. Sarah, your Christmas gift, have you given this some thought? Who would you give and what would you give them? Not a Cybertruck, but it could be a a walk through time. (laughs) I uh, couldn't help but when I was thinking about who should I give a Christmas gift to in the land of motorsport and cars, but probably more motorsport is my area of knowledge. So I thought that maybe Fernando Alonso, given his track record being so outstanding, however, he's still remaining in the competition. Maybe we could gift him with a new birth certificate. We can make him a few years younger and he can sort of carry on. Yeah, yeah. G- give him another 10 so, years I mean, on his birth certificate pushing. so he can just stay with yeah, us. Yeah, he seems to be uh, the, the gift that keeps giving in, in the sport. And hats off to him. He's doing well. He did very well in the car this year and he's put it up to fourth place. Yeah. Speaking as a man who is 62, age is just a number. Age is just a number. <laughs> Sometimes it's also an ache in the knees, you know, and a bout of hemorrhoids and a bit of a cough and, you know, those stiff neck that you get and, all oh, my hands get cold. But age is still just a number. <laughs> not for Fernando Alonso. Yeah. <laughs> Zaga, I know you're not going to give a Christmas gift per se, but if you've given it some thought, who would you give what? I'm happy to call it a Christmas gift. You know, Christmas is happening, we give Christmas gifts. But whether it's a seasonal gift or a Christmas gift, I think I want to give a gift to Lance Stroll. Ooh. I think what he needs is a new identity, a place in a witness protection programme, <laughs> and a home in life. <laughs> I think this is what he needs. He's been unhappy for a while. He needs to get away from that situation. And it's got to be a complete blank slate. So there we go. A new start for Lance Stroll. And good luck to him with it. With love in my heart, I'm not saying, you know, get thee gone, Lance. If he's not enjoying things enough, he should find something else to do that he's enjoying, that he can enjoy. Endurance racing, for example. Yeah, fine (laughs) area of endeavour. I like mm-hmm. the idea of him joining a witness protection program. Yeah, my name is Lancia Strolovich. That is his real name, by the way, Strolovich. Did you know that? I don't know. I think he uses Stroll. You know, I used Gaz Top for years, so he's allowed to do that. But I think he was born or named Lance Strolovich, I believe. Okay, my Christmas gift. I, I talked this over with Tycho. I said, Tycho, you know, if you were going to buy a Christmas gift for someone in Formula One, who would you buy? What would you buy? And he said, oh, Dad, come on. These guys have got everything. They've got millions in the bank. They don't need anything. I think he was thinking about the drivers. So I broadened that approach a little bit. And I thought, OK, I'm not going to buy something for a driver. I'm going to buy something for someone else in one of the teams. So my Xmas gift, Slade-themed Xmas, you see, goes to... Gunter Steiner. He's had a terrible year. Poor Gunter. We love him, don't we? We love him. He's so noisy. He's so outrageous. He has such a wonderful speech pattern, a glorious accent, and he doesn't care what he says. But there's been an awful lot of swearing this year. And for good reason, the Haas 2023 car was hopeless. It was good for the first few laps and then hopeless. Just falls apart. So... To give Gunter a happy Christmas, knowing that next year is going to be all right. My gift to him is a bit of people trafficking. I'm going to give him Adrian Newey. I think the Haas team, if they had the best car designer in Formula One, would stand a chance of getting off the back row of the grid, at least within a year or two. And that would be great, because I'd love Hulk to be in a car that stood a chance of doing something. Yeah, they do need something to uh, turn their fortunes around. And an Adrian Newey, or maybe a six-pack of it. Can you get Adrian Newey's in convenient six-packs? I hope so. That'd be amazing. Is there maybe a special offer for Christmas? That would be the thing. Yeah, I like it. So there we go. Merry Christmas, everybody in the world of cars and motorsport. From the Gareth Jones on Speed team. Christmas can be a very difficult time of the year for many reasons. But this year, spare a thought for the people who work for large car companies who have to come up with a name for the car that they will release next year. 
It's a tricky one. So here's a song about some of the worst car names ever dreamt up and a possible solution that I've come up with. And this Christmas song for Gareth Jones on Speed is loosely in the style of Green Day, or in our case, Green Jay. It's that time of year again It's always a bit of a pain Surprise and delight features Fill our new car And we get to give that car a name Sweet car sounds like a biscuit Funky cats just absurd I gotta come up With something new An identity, a name, a word Originality is my business I've got the name for our new car Psychological trick that makes lots of sense because everybody loves Christmas and everyone likes getting presents. I drive a car called Christmas and I'm an engineer, not fueled by diesel, gas, or battery, but powered by a dozen deer. I love a car called Christmas and I'm a volunteer. About it is to be a brand new one next year. Car names can be cavalier, like the Polish tarp and honker, or the massive bungo friendly, and the Gaylord gladiator. AMC had issues with Kremlin, but pushed that broke too far. Mitsubishi came up with top of coffees that a candy or a fish or a guy that car Morris had a car called Isis But that is not the champion Because they were a geely Call any baby Smart Hashtag one Smart Hashtag one Smart Hashtag one I wouldn't drive a car called Smart Hashtag one But I'd drive a car called Tide or Festivus or Hanukkah or the Winterfest is a time for quizzes. So we're going to play a new version of a quiz that may be familiar. It's all car themed and it's called Who Wants to Be a Mastermind? The way this quiz works is that each of us will ask the other members of the team questions on their specialist Subject. You can probably work out that for Zog, that means Porsche. For Sarah, that means Australian F1 drivers, of course. <laughs> for Alex, Morgan Cars. Kel Surprise. 
And for me, <laughs> equally, quel surprise or que surprisio, lancia. Right, let's see how this goes. Now, each of us have prepared questions and verified them. And to kick off the quiz, the first round is Alex to quiz Zog on Porsche. Oh, this was fun, though I have a sneaking suspicion young Zoglet might know all of them straight away. Each question is multiple choice. Feel free to laugh at my idiocy. Anyway, question one. Why is the 911 so named? Is it A, because Porsche is a big fan of emergencies? Is it B, Peugeot got a bit cross with the original name? Or is it C, they thought it would be funny to make middle-aged Americans say elf? (laughs) (laughs) Hang on, how does that work? Middle-aged Americans say elf? Auf Deutsch ist es dein neun Elfer. Eins, zwei, drei, vier, fünf, sechs, acht, sieben, zehn, elf, zwölf. Yeah. Genius. The Germans call it the neun Elfer. The nine elf. Neun Elfer. Nine eleven, nine Elfer. Okay, let me see. That's a Christmas card. Yeah, I've got to be honest. I did kind of know the answer to this before you finished. (laughs) I thought you might. (laughs) But to drag it out, let's think about it. (laughs) Third one. Okay, that's obviously a red herring. First answer. Can't remember what that was now. Is it because they're a big fan of emergencies? Well, they're a very responsible company. (laughs) (laughs) These are adults. They're not children. They're, they're not excited by sirens. No, it's uh, it's number two. Peugeot have a uh, a lock in the intellectual property sense. 911 was one of the model numbers that Peugeot had the rights to. Do you mean 901? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, 901. Yes, because it's the O in the middle. Yeah. 90 something was a Peugeot thing. <laughs> intellectual property-wise. Nobody else could do a 90-something. Yet the 911 was originally going to be the 901. It couldn't be the 901 because of Peugeot. 911. Bing. You get an point. Question two, young Zoglet. When Porsche founded its Leipzig factory at the turn of the century, what did it do to help the locals? Is it A, free currywurst Wednesdays every day, every week for a year? Was it B, creating a treasure hunt for the locals, presenting a life-size bust of Ferdinand Porsche to the winner? Or was it C, give the local church a new organ with a Porsche twist? Ooh. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. You see, okay, I don't know this. Okay, it obviously, it has to be one or three. I like two. The first one, though, the Curryverse, that recalls a little bit too much Volkswagen. Well, same team. Yeah, yeah, same team, sure. So, you know, I could see there's a, you know, supplying pork-based food products to the people to make their lives better kind of thing. Yeah, okay, plausible. But even so, I'm going to say three. Church organ with a Porsche twist. I'm intrigued by this now. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to say number three, the organ. You are correct, sir. Well done. When Porsche moved into Leipzig, whenever it was, either late 90s or or early 2000s, to build, the factory was originally designed to build the Cayenne. uh, And, you know, car that saved the company, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But Porsche basically went to the people of Leipzig and went, we know we're going to make things a little bit sticky for a while. Anything we can do to help. And I'm sure someone said free currywurst. But then the St. Nicholas Kircher in the middle of town went, our Ladergast organ is knackered. Any chance you could give it a look? So they did. And they went, yeah, we'll fix it for you, but we'll do it our way. So they basically rebuilt the organ. It's got five dials and it starts on a key. Nice. (laughs) Wow. Very good. It's very, very cool. I saw it just the other week, actually. I was back in Leipzig. Are the pipes arranged in a horizontal format? No, they are are vertical pipes. They are vertical pipes. And uh, if memory serves from the press bump that I sort of dug up years ago, they built an extra kind of organ pipe topper to serve wine in at the launch night. Nice. Which is very cool. As it is a Porsche organ, has it now got a very heavy bottom end? 
<laughs> Weirdly, the notes at the end of the piece come around a little bit quicker than you'd expect. Ah, <laughs> very good. Right, you dog, you've got one more question at the moment. You've scored two out of three. Question three. What was legendary Porsche designer Bootsy Porsche's favourite design what he done ever did? Is it the 904? Is it the 911? Or is it the first Porsche design wristwatch? Now, the Porsche design wristwatch, it's interesting putting that in there because the Porsche design company is related by family to the Porsche car company. But they're not the same company in terms of ownership. The family name is there, that's the relationship there, but the companies are not themselves linked. Um, Again, I, I, I don't know. Maybe you've thrown the watch in as a, as a little red herring here. I'm tempted to say 904, but maybe this is... Maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe I was supposed to think that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe... Uh, ooh, oh, oh, the 904. You are... Correct! That was his favourite. That's three out of three. Well done. He has been quoted as saying that that was his favouritist, that he loved it a bit. The 904 Carrera GTS, as it was, was his favouritist. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing, isn't it? Mm. Why wouldn't you love it? Yes, no, he loved it, basically. And who, yeah, who can blame him? So they are three for three for Zog. (sighs) Well done. Zog has scored a three out of a possible Three. Okay, the next set of questions will be for Sarah. Okay. On the subject of Australian F1 drivers, how confident are you, Sarah? Well, depends who you're talking about, but let's just wait and see. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not... uh, We'll we'll wait and see. Let's see how I go. Mercifully, there haven't been that many F1 drivers who've won championships and races. There have been four Australians who've won F1 races. Jack Brabham, Alan Jones, Mark Webber, and of course, Daniel Ricciardo. But of these three, which one has the fewest wins? The fewest wins. The fewest wins. Is it A, Jack Brabham? Is it B... Alan Jones, or is it C, Mark Webber? Well, Alan Jones won a world title, didn't he? He did, yeah. So I feel he's got way more wins than, say, Mark Webber, who he was hard done by when he almost won a world title by Sebastian Vettel. And he's mm-hmm. got um, nipped to the post. Then Jack Brabham had quite a successful career he won a world title too yeah he won multiple championships well i would say i would say mark webber has got the least amount of wins out of those three and the correct answer is mark Mark webber with nine wins yes daniel ricardo only won eight so he's not in my top three there but of those top three the way it works Jack Brabham won 14 races back in the day when there weren't that many races in a season Alan Jones won 12 and Mark Webber won nine Ricardo so far has won eight races so first question you got that correct round of applause for Sarah (laughs) like we thought it would never happen (laughs) (laughs) okay Sarah question two on Australian racing drivers The most famous Australian racing dynasty, the Brabham family. Jack Brabham and his two sons, Jeff Brabham and David Brabham, are all racing drivers. But of those three names, only two Brabhams have won the 24 Hours of Le Mans outright. So of these three, Jack, Jeff and David... Which one didn't win Le Mans? Which one did not win Le Mans? Mm. The 24 Hours of Le Mans is a team event. Yep. You race with two other drivers. Historically, it used to be two, but now it's three. 
Right, so I mean, my knowledge of Australian drivers does, does not necessarily have this kind of bandwidth, <laughs> um, but it should do, given I am from the country. So we've got Jack Brabham, Jeff and David, correct? His sons, Jeff and David, yeah. Oh, his sons, Jeff and David. Yeah. Well, I would say Jack... Obviously, Jeff and David were never entered the world of Formula One as successful as Jack. 24 hours of Le Mans has come a long way since our eras with Jack. So I would lean towards the two drivers that have won Le Mans outright would be his sons, David and Jeff. That is the correct answer. There we go. Yeah, well done, Sarah. Yeah, Jeff Bremen won in 1993 in a Peugeot 905 where he shared the car with Eric Elary and Christophe Bouchot. David Brabham won in 2009. We were there, Zog. He also had GT-class wins in 2007 and 2008. And Jack Brabham won F1 in 59, 60 and 66, but never won the Le Mans 24 hours. He competed three times. 58 with Zog's hero, Sterling Moss, in uh, Davy Brown, Aston Martin, DBR1. And he came 19th. In 1970, he shared a car with Francois Sever. It was a, a Matra Simca MS650. And he came third. And he came third in another year as well. In 1957, in fact, alongside Ian Raby, or Rabby, in a Cooper Climax T39. Jack never won Le Mans. But Sarah, so far, two out of two correct. Your third question. The first Aussie to race in Formula One was someone called Tony Gaze back in 1952. Now, here are three facts about Tony Gaze. Which one is not true? A. Tony Gaze was a fighter pilot in World War II. B. Tony Gaze went to Queen's College, Cambridge. Or C. Tony Gaze was on Ernest Shackleton's Ross Sea Party Trans-Antarctic Expedition. Tony Gaze. One of those facts is not true. Was he a World War II fighter pilot? Did he go to Queen's College, Cambridge? Or was he on Ernest Shackleton's Rossi Tea Party? Wow. <laughs> Describe Shackleton. Ernest Shackleton was a great British adventurer and explorer. Yep. He wasn't the first man to reach the South Pole, though, was he, Zog? I'm, I'm not an expert Shackleton on this. Shackleton was South Pole, I think. Wasn't he beaten by Amundsen to the pole? Uh, or was that Scott? But Amundsen took dogs, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and was prepared to eat the dogs. Yeah. Dangerous business, though. Very, very, yeah, crazy dangerous exploring in the Antarctic uh, back then. So which one of these facts is made up, Sarah? Tony Gaze was a fighter pilot in World War II. He went to Queen's College, Cambridge, or he was with Ernest Shackleton on the Transarctic Expedition that was called the Ross Sea Party. Hmm. This is a tough one, I think. Um, how on earth he ended up on a boat going down to the Arctic is sort of beyond me, given his passions sound elsewhere. There's a good chance he was a fighter pilot in World War II because it didn't really matter what who you were or what you did. If you were called into action to sort of serve your country, you had to do it. So I think that fact could actually be true, that he was in World War II. Both my grandfathers were, actually. Wow. They served in the war. Yeah, one of which was in the Air Force, uh, but in Darwin-based. Fast fact from my family. Um, So I think there probably could be a good chance he studied here in the UK. Now, I could have that completely wrong, but I'm just not quite sure he'd end up on a voyage to the Arctic. Or you think that he could. I think I'm going to get this wrong here. I think the answer is going to be either B or C. 
Okay, which one are you going to go for? <laughs> B or C is the fib. Can you repeat what so he studied where in Cambridge? A, fighter pilot. B, Queen's College, Cambridge. C, on Ernest Shackleton's Trans-Antarctic Expedition. Which one of those is made up? Which year was the expedition? Sorry, no. <laughs> I don't have the answer to that to hand. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm going to say that C's not true then. And the correct answer is C. It is made up. He was not on Ernest Shackleton's Ross Sea Party Trans-Arctic Expedition. However, Tony Gaze's father, Irvine Gaze, was... Right, there you go. So, Sarah, at the end of your three Who Wants to Be a Mastermind quiz answers, you got three correct. Round of applause. Three out of three. There we go. Thank you very much. Wow. By the way, yeah. quick Antarctic fact. Yeah. I learned this just the other day. It blew my mind. At the, I think at the McMurdo Research Station, you know, the international research base in Antarctica. Yeah. You know, which is home to a bunch of scientists doing doing research in the Antarctic all year round. At this base and elsewhere in Antarctica, you cannot earth electrical equipment because they are sitting on an enormous sheet of ice. Which is water. Well, water conducts electricity. Yeah. Ice does not. Oh. Water conducts, oh. but as ice, it does not conduct electricity. The thickness varies. But you're on top of a couple of miles of ice before you get down to the ground that you would normally be, be grounding in. Um, so, yeah, you cannot ground electrical equipment at McMurdo or any other spots on the Antarctic ice sheet, which just presents some hazards. Yeah. If you can't yeah. earth electrical equipment, you've got more chance of electrical accidents and fires. Mind blown. I will remember that next time I'm drying my hair in the bath at McMurdo Station in Antarctica. That's a handy fact. Take that home, everybody, with you. You'll need that one. <laughs> That's amazing, Zog. That would be one. really, really, really useful for two of our listeners, maybe, in at some point in the future. <laughs> maybe. Who are both penguins. Yeah. I would have turned that into a how. That would have been a really brilliant how on the programme, you know. How would you prevent getting an electric shock in Antarctica? You know, there must be a solution somehow. Fascinating. Okay, so far, Zog <laughs> and Sarah have both scored perfectly. Alex, time for your questions from Sarah. Let's talk Morgan. Right, so Alex, <laughs> now I feel like you might get all of these <laughs> fairly quickly. So Morgan cars is not my area of expertise, but I've picked out a few things that I think we can work with. So, question number one. Which fashion accessory is the traditional hat of choice when driving a Morgan car? (laughs) (laughs) Is it A, a New York Yankees cap, B, a full brim sun hat, or is it C, a piggy blinder? Ooh. See, I ooh, now, nice. now you, you you said I might be able to get these straight off the bat. I've never been given an official rule list for what to wear when driving a Morgan of any kind. However, oh, there is one. Is there? Right? Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've 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 got I've got machining coats underneath a bigger coat behind me, some over there. Um, but I would say if you were in an Aero Supersports and you were trying to go for like the Middle England Tom Selleck look, then the Yankees cap. Well, he was a Dodgers man, wasn't he? But a bit of Magnum PI going on. A full brimmed sun hat would work, but it would be a bit too windy. You'd get too much lift, I reckon. So you'd lose that immediately in some sort of hideous middle england middle class accident so i'm gonna go with c the peaky blinder because those cling to your head a little more and i have one in the room next door and that worked over the summer as i was driving home from the goodwood revival so c a peaky blinder if it's the kind of hat i'm thinking of anyway (laughs) yes yes it is Congratulations. Well done. Can I add to that, that I think it's very important that you wear it in the traditional 1930s way, backwards. Oh, I always do that anyway, because I'm too cool for school. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, carry on. (laughs) Okay, question number two. 
In what year did Morgan Cars break away from three wheelers and create a four wheeler car? Is the answer A, 2022, B, 1952, or is it C, 1932? Right, I know it's not 1922 because three wheeler came back out again in 2012 and I got mine in 2016. So it's no later than that. I can give you a hint. It was the year that Queen Elizabeth came to the throne. Okay, so... That could be giving it away a little bit. That does give it away rather a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have given you a... Even, even without that extra hint, 1932, they were still selling them and still setting records and racing with them. And 1952, you know how I know this? I did a film on, on the three-wheeler years ago and it was one of the few facts I could glean. It was 1952 and the reason for it was that steel supplies were were in short shrift and so the cost of them was going up but also people wanted normal cars because they could afford them because of post-war boom and all and what have you so yeah 1952 please sarah that's correct okay question number three the new super three malay rally special is available in three colours. Now, which one of these three colours is not correct or it's made up? Oh. Is it A, Safari Yellow, B, Rally Black, or C, Vermiglia Red? <sighs> so let's go through that again. Is it Safari Yellow, Rally Black, or Vermiglia Red? Shit. Which one of these three colours is a made up? Okay, that's an actual stumpy one because I've seen the Malay. I've seen a Malay car because I was there the other week, and but that was sort of one of the 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 prototype ones. So what I've got, I've got, and that was silver, but that was the one they did the rally in because that was driven by a lovely man called Craig Cullum um, for them. Uh, oh crikey! I know they do a safari yellow. Black is a sensible answer. Um, so I'm going for the one that it's not available in. Well, they're available in three colours, but they've got they have specific names for each colour. Ah. So so it's not just red; it's familiar red, red, or it's or it's a you know special type of blue, or is it a you know safari yellow, or a, it could be like a desert yellow. Oh. Like, so. That's that's evil. That's evil. (laughs) Could have asked me how many super dry editions they did. That would have been easy. It's 250. (laughs) (laughs) Because they made a jacket to match each one. And they sold out of the larges and extra larges far too quickly because of their uh, demographic. Oh, shit. I genuinely don't know, so I'm going to have a stab in the dark. I'm going to go Vermilia Red or Vermilia Red. I think it's already in a yellow. So, yeah, I'm going to go red. Well, they have a Safari Yellow. They have a Sport Black, not a Rally Black. And a familiar red. Oh, oh, I'm so no. sorry. Oh, you were going so well. Right, I'm going to have to have a word with the factory. It'll be changed post haste. I'll be on the phone to marketing as soon as this is done. <laughs> I would have thought they'd have a sport red. And you're going to ch- try and change reality before the podcast. <laughs> yes. yes. So, Sarah, let me be clear. The black is called sports black. Or sports ra- black. Sports, sports black, 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 not rally, not rally black. black. Oh, wow. Safari yellow. Basically, it's a land. Drover colour, if memory serves. Quite nice yellow. Is the camel truck yellow? Anyway, I'm rubbish. So, boo. No, I thought that was quite a difficult manipulation of the truth. <laughs> so, as we go into the final round, which are questions for me, Zog's got a perfect score of three. Sarah's got a perfect score of three. Alex has got a perfect score. Well, a less than perfect score of two. Alex is a loser. <laughs> He's a loser. <laughs> And now I believe it's my turn to answer questions, which Zog has prepared. Correct. Okay, Gareth, you are answering questions on Lancia. I think we could say Lancia is your favourite, Mark. You've got a soft spot for a Ford, amongst other things, but you love a Lancia. I do. Okay, here we go. Three questions on lovely, lovely Italian car manufacturer, Lancia. Which driver 
has won the most WRC events for Lancia. Is it Mickey Biazion? Is it Didier Oriol? Or Taki Inui? <laughs> Mickey Biazion, Didier Oriol, or Taki Inui? Well, Taki Inui, of course, we know, was very good in the gravel. Uh, <laughs> uh, <yes>. <laughs> but not for the right reasons. Yeah, he's a very fine off-road driver, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm not certain he was ever uh, actually commissioned or paid to be an off-road driver. Did indeed spend a lot of time off-road. And I love the idea of Takinu in a lunch, but I know that isn't correct. So was it Mickey Biasion or was it Didier Oriol, the other name? Didier Oriol was B, correct. Okay, Oriol drove a Stratos very successfully. But I think Mickey Biasion had better equipment under his feet. I reckon he had four-wheel drive. Therefore, I'm going to say the Lancia driver who has won the most number of WRC, was it events or championships? Events, events not championships, yeah. Was Mickey Biasion. Correct answer. Whoa! Correct. He won on 16 rallies, uh, 16 WRC rallies for Lancia, and one for Ford. Oh, yeah. But yeah, he is Lancia's most successful rally driver. Wow, that was a tricky one. Okay, question two. In which year did Lancia release the first Delta? In which year did Lancia release the first Delta? Much-loved Lancia model, of course. But when did the Delta first appear? Was it 1932? Was it 1911 or was it 1979? Well, 1932, 1911, 1979. Okay, well, Lancia's history goes back to dawn of the 20th century, the first five or six years of 1900s. And they sort of went through the alphabet, didn't they? Well, they had, they had their exotic names early on, Flamina and stuff like that, Aurelia. But then they went to sort of Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta much later on. I think the Gamma came before the Delta. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, so I don't think it was... What were the three dates? 1932, 1911? A, 1932. B, 1911. C, 1979. Well, I don't think it was 1911. I don't think there was a Delta before the late 70s, because it was... The only Delta I can think of was, you know the one which became the Integrale, based on the old Ritmo platform. So it wasn't 1911, it wasn't 1932. The answer is 1979. The answer is 1911. No! It's not just me that's useless! Yes! 1979 Delta. No! They revived the name of one of their very first models. I had no idea. I think the first... Lancia was actually called the Alpha. That's right, it was, yes. The Tipo 51 was called the Alpha, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, Alpha, you know, nothing to do with Alpha Romeo. Alpha, I think, for Alpha, first letter in the Greek alphabet. And back then, yeah, there was a Delta in 1911. Wow. And then in 1979, there was another Delta that we know much better. So there you go, 1911. Wow, the great joy of a quiz is not only do you have fun, but you learn stuff. There you go. I'm glad I caught you out. You did. No, that's the point of the quiz. The point of the quiz is is to have a little Christmas fun, but still, catching up was quite satisfying. Question three. The Lancia 037 was produced in collaboration with several other Italian companies. Fiat Automobiles and Pininfarina were two of them. Which were the other two most significant collaborators? Was it A, Abarth and Lamborghini? Was it B, a bath and Delara, or C, Bizzarini and Alfa Romeo? Wow. A, a bath and Lamborghini, B, a bath and Delara, or C, Bizzarini and Alfa Romeo? Wow. 
Some great names, Garogista there and Carotiera. Wow. This is a bit of a tricky one. It is a very tricky one. I've gone a little bit deep. But this one is to save grace, because there's no way I'm going to win this now, having got one wrong, but I've got to come out of this not smelling of, of shite. So I've got to uh, answer this one correctly. Uh, okay, let me think, let me think, let me think. Bizzarini and Alfa Romeo were small, well, no, well, Alfa Romeo was part of the larger Fiat group, as were Lancia at the time of the 037. But I'm not sure if they had the right technology and skills. Bizzarini were more of a styling house, GT car, so I'm going to eliminate that. I don't think it was Bizzarini and Alfa Romeo. Now, the other two were Dallara and Lamborghini, did you say? The other two options are Abarth and Dallara or Abarth and Lamborghini. Abarth and Lamborghini. Now, Abarth is part of the Fiat Empire, but Lamborghini weren't. They were independent at that point. So I'm going to eliminate that one as well. Now, the other combination is Abarth and Dallara, isn't it? Dallara, yeah. yeah. I seem to remember that Dallara had a big part to play in the development of the Ferrari 533 SP. So they have a history of working with Ferrari. Ferrari and Lancia were very closely related in those days. A bath, of course, is definitely part of the Fiat group. So my answer is that the other two people who helped develop the 037 were a bath and a Lara. Your thought process is sound. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> wow. Got that. I saved grace, but I'm not the winner in this race. But at the moment, nobody is the winner because two people have a perfect score of three out of three, which means, Alex, you and I are eliminated, but mm-hmm. I have a tiebreaker question here, which I'm going to put to Zog and Sarah. Zog, I'm going to ask you first. It is a multiple choice question, and the question is this. So I want you to consider your answers before giving it to me first. Not doing this on the buzzer or anything. This isn't a, how are we doing this? If this is a tiebreaker, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. are we answering separately? How are we doing this? Okay, understood. One of you is going to give me your answer first. That's you, Zog. Okay. And then Sarah gets to choose whether she thinks that is correct and give the same answer, or she thinks it might be another answer. Okay. Right? All right, I understand. Oh, okay. Here's the question. Of these three very expensive cars, which one is the most expensive? Is it one, the Rolls-Royce Cullinan? So this is Rolls-Royce's huge SUV, but not just the regular one. I'm talking about the Trasco Armoured version that you can buy if you are a (laughs) state leader or a gang leader and you want to survive bullet fire right is it the rolls-royce cullinan trasco armored version is it b the base model bugatti chiron if there is such a thing or is it three the lotus evaya their all electric hyper supercar so, so, which one of those three is the most expensive? The Rolls-Royce Cullinan Armoured Edition, the Bugatti Chiron base model, or the Lotus Evaya? Okay. Now, I can't bring any prices to mind here, so we're going to have to sort of get this out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how much the Evaya is, but it has to be considerably cheaper than the Bugatti. So we're pushing the Lotus out of the picture. It's between the Bugatti and the Rolls-Royce. And I figure... An armoured Rolls-Royce, that has to be the most expensive of those. If you're taking a Cullinan and you're then loading it up with everything that you need to be a you know a, a fully armoured vehicle, and not just a fully armoured vehicle, but a fully armoured vehicle that's going to keep happy the kind of person that would normally buy a Cullinan 
but now needs one that's going to withstand rifle and rocket fire, that's probably going to be a very, very expensive vehicle. So the Rolls-Royce, armoured Rolls-Royce. Okay, Zog's answer is that those three vehicles, the Rolls-Royce, the Bugatti or the Lotus, he thinks the Rolls-Royce is the most expensive. Sarah, which one of those three do you think is the most expensive? Well, after telling me all about the armoured Rolls-Royce, that's what I would have gone for as well. But then uh, I might as well just go for a different question, shouldn't I? Be willing to lose. Willing to lose? <laughs> but I could actually, by default, or as an offset of going for a different answer, could actually win. So I could just, you know, risk it. Before you give me your answer, if you give the same answer as Zog, you stay in the game. <laughs> Do we have another tiebreaker? Yes, we do. I've got one, and it's really bastardly. So, Sarah? All right, I'll go for A. The same answer as Zog. I would have gone otherwise B. Yeah, I'll go the same answer as Zog then. I would have maybe gone B. Can I have a honker answering that one? Uh, Yeah, go on. Let's hear what you're going to say. Go on. I think it's the Avaya. Okay, we'll find out in a moment. The answer (laughs) is... Of the three cars, which is the most expensive? The Rolls-Royce Cullinan Armoured Edition, the Bugatti Chiron, the base model, or the Lotus Evaya? Okay, uh, the Lotus Evaya is $2.3 million in US dollars. $2.3 million. The Bugatti Chiron, the base model, the popular plus edition, I believe, <laughs> is... In the region of three million dollars, yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I was going to yeah. say that U.S. dollars. <laughs> Should have gone yeah. for that. However, the Rolls Royce Cullinan is a bargain at one point one million dollars. Now you both got that wrong, incredibly. But Sarah, you stayed in the game by giving the same wrong answer. Oh, I should have said the Bugatti. Okay, interesting. The most expensive is. The base Chiron. So, Alex, mercifully, you have a tiebreaker question as well. I do indeed have a tiebreaker question. So it's all down to these two, Sarah Ozog. Whoever gets this right is the winner in the quiz. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We all know that the Rimac Nevera is a very impressive electric hypercar. I believe at one point it was the most expensive car on sale. Uh, Very, very, very quick uh, from the brain of Mate uh, Rimac. Very lovely man. But the other week, it shattered a world record, one previously held by esteemed motoring writer Colin Goodwin. It is now the fastest vehicle, or the fastest car, to drive in reverse. So, to the nearest five miles an hour, I'll give you five miles an hour, uh, how fast did it go? In reverse. In Uh, reverse. reverse. In reverse. It's got 2,000 horsepower, it's very silly, but it's aerodynamically, you know, designed to go forward. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a slab on the arse and there's a big wing. So, to the nearest five miles an hour. Given it's an electric car, let me just give some context here. You know, in theory, it could go almost as quick in reverse as it can forward if it wasn't for the aerodynamic drag produced by the wing in the wrong position. And what is its top speed going forwards? you know let me just do a quick look Mm. i know it'll do a quarter mile in eight seconds and change and the closing speed on that's about 120 because i did it Uh, top speed so going forwards it's limited to 219 miles an hour but if you're with someone from rimats you can go full whack at 258. Miles Blimey, So I may as well just pick a number, shouldn't I? I'm letting you guys guess. Whoever's closest. Oh, OK. Well, I'll have to just go for a guess. Yeah, so there has to be yeah. a winner. One of you will be closer. Um, OK, now does one of us have to get... Who's guessing first? Do we have to guess at the same time? Do we have to write down? Zog, you tell us your answer first. Come on. I've got a number in my head. OK, um... Great question. I was pleased with it. <laughs> How fast can you go in reverse? Actually, do you have a uh, This is a serious question. Um, was the driver, you know, 
looking over their shoulder while they were driving in reverse and kind of doing that thing of you know one hand on the wheel with your left arm kind of hooked over the seat looking over your shoulder through the back window while you reverse did they turn the seat around in the car because i'm just wondering I, I, i think that makes a difference to how fast you can go I, I, you know what, I do not know because I wasn't there and I haven't watched the video in a while. Um, but uh, to put it uh, into perspective, uh, Colin Goodwin, a former uh, Guinness World Record holder for driving backwards, did 104 miles an hour in a light car company rocket. Oh, right, okay. Okay, in that case, okay, it has to be much faster than that. So let's say. Uh, and it'll do 260 ish flat out going forwards so 180 in reverse Sarah I was gonna say 185 I have that figure 185 is it time for a drum roll the winner is Zog it did Ah. 171.34 miles an hour in reverse well done that is very good guesswork. Very, very, very good. Very, and well very done, good. somebody, for driving uh, a river. Yeah, batshit. 171 <laughs> miles an hour. And so the winner of the Who Wants to Be a Mastermind 2023 is Zog! Yay! Well done, Zog. Well, as 2023 draws to a close and 2024 opens up before us, I have two questions for the team before we go. What are your best and worst moments of 2023? Zog, will you kick us off? What was your favourite motorsport or car-related thing in 2023 and why? Well, if we're doing best and worst moments of motorsport this year, I was going to say highlight was maybe the Las Vegas Grand Prix but no but actually I'm going to say that for me but both the low and the high this year were of the Emilia Romana Grand Prix weekend a low because there was catastrophic flooding in the region I think 13 people killed the fact that a motor race is cancelled in that context is you know in a sense relatively small beer it's a tragedy for people in the area but that was definitely a low point in the f1 calendar but the response of the teams in particular seeing yuki Tsunoda actually contributing to the rescue and cleanup effort you know and getting out in person and helping people in the area that was a highlight for me. I thought it was fantastic that Alpha Tauri and Yuki Sonoda actually <laughs> contributed and remind you that there's more to life than just motorsport and there are more important things. And it's good to see that side of Yuki Sonoda and the team. Yes, yeah, so that was my eye and my love. Beautiful, life, concise, two in one. Sarah, your best and worst moments of 23? The best moment was obviously when Daniel Ricciardo returned to the grid. <laughs> of course, yes. So there we go. I mean, and he's quite good for the sport. Loving or hating, he brings a lot to the sport, whether he's at the top of the grid or not. And then the worst moment, I think, is the latest row with Susie Wolf. All these allegations that oh, um, yeah. her being involved in the F1 Academy, the whole sort of misogynistic part about it, it's just a bit off. I, you know, particularly when they're trying to encourage females being in the sport. And she is very much a professional. She was team principal of a Formula E team, so she's fairly capable yeah, I thought that was not quite a highlight for the sport, <laughs> unfortunately. A bit off is a lovely way of putting mm. it. Yeah, that's a bit off, in it, guys? Come on. And, yeah, there mm. seems to be machinations behind as a result of all that as well. So uh, you may be right. Good. Interesting. Very, very interesting, Sarah. Alex, your best and worst moments, car stuff in 23? Worst is people not knowing that Tesla isn't doing anything new, but they are making it in new and interesting shapes because it's just irritating and tiresome at this point. Rear steering's been around for a while. Blind spot yep. indicator's been around on Volvo since the noughties. Yep. Knowing things is half the battle. It's not difficult, <laughs> and it's this sort of bloody-mindedness about it. So that was irritating, and that will probably continue to irritate me until 2050, when I eventually die bitter and alone. <laughs> good point for... <laughs> Good point for the year. My high is Aston returning to top flight Le Mans. Bring on a Valkyrie in hypercar in 2025. That is going to be cool. 
Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Okay. My favourite car moment of 2023 wasn't a Formula One moment, but it was international motorsport. It was after an epic gap of, what, 50 years, Ferrari won the 24 hours of Le Mans in a car which I believe to be one of the most beautiful racing cars in the last 30 years the 499 sp in that red and yellow almost momo colors epic use of carbon fiber just perfect when giovanazzi Gidi, and calado crossed the line that was a perfect moment ferrari's 10th victory their first outright victory since 1965 i think that was Gregory and Rint in a 250 LM. So that really, really made me happy because not only because Ferrari won it, but I backed Ferrari to win it and I backed that car to win it. I couldn't have been happier. That was a perfect moment. Worst moment, George Russell's crash in Singapore when he failed to complete those last few laps despite being in a fantastic position. It wasn't so much the fact that he crashed out. It was... His face afterwards, that poor, sweet, lovely boy. His eyes were like a manga version of a baby panda. They were so sad. And it actually brought a lump to my throat. It's bringing a lump to my throat thinking about it now. Dear George Russell, he was so tender. He was so honest about it. We talk about the end of toxic masculinity. Boom. There it was in this lad opening up his heart on screen. Poor George. That was the worst moment. And I wish him well for next year. And while we're on hopes and dreams for next year, Alex, hopes and dreams for next year, briefly, what do you want? Oh, more hand-built British sports cars, please. Lots of them. If you can just put them in a tap directly into my house, that would be great. Thanks. (laughs) Zog, hopes and dreams for 24? For the traffic over Putney Bridge to get a little bit lighter at some point, that would be great. Oh, is it that bad? Really? With Hammersmith Bridge being closed and other stuff going on, there's a lot of local traffic stuff that means that Putney Bridge is just a bit of a nightmare. Sarah? Well, let's hope and dream that one of the Australian F1 drivers, Piastri or Daniel Ricciardo, actually get a win. And actually, Um, I think Daniel wants to come up to Red Bull team. Whether that happens or not, I think it will be very difficult for him, but you never know. An Australian win in 2024. That would make us all happy, not just you, Sarah. Nice one. For me, what am I looking forward to in 2024? Well, something I only discovered this week. I didn't know this was going to happen, and I'm really excited about this for two reasons. I love Extreme, right? I really enjoy Extreme. And in 2024, we are going to see the prototype of the Extreme H car. Now, it's, yeah, Extreme H sounds like a new kind of hemorrhoid treatment doesn't it use extreme age no it does sound like something for your bottom yes yeah but they are rebranding extreme not in 2024 but in 2025 as extreme age where they're moving over to hydrogen fuel cell cars Ooh. instead of battery electric cars i'm so thrilled about that but we'll see the prototype in 2024 and i am looking forward to that the future is here and it starts now and as they say look to the future now it's only just begun everybody raise your glasses it's still in the bottle, so bottle. Cheers. I propose a toast to all of us. To Sarah. Wow. <laughs> Cheers. To Zog. Clink his friends. To Alex. <laughs> oh. And to all you lovely listeners for sticking with us throughout 2023 for Gareth Jones on Speed. Gareth Jones on Speed will return in 2024 for our 20th season not our 20th year but our 20th season featuring what i hope will be our 500th program i'll be there i'm hoping you three will be too yes yeah of course. Go on, then. thank you very much merry christmas everybody happy hanukkah happy winter fest merry christmas and see you next year say bye everyone bye, bye. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>